Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, Pilate's wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that innocent man, for today I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we approach the proclamation of the word, let's go to God in prayer. Holy God, we give you thanks for this time to be together this morning. God, we pray that you would be present here, that the words that are spoken are your words, the words that are heard are your words. Lord, that the Spirit would move amongst us and that this encounter with you would be so powerful that we cannot walk away unchanged. In your holy name we pray. Amen. I am so glad to be with you this morning. I have to tell you, I really miss seeing your faces I've realized over these last several weeks that Sundays are the hardest day of the week for me. It took me a while to figure out why, because for the first time in my entire adult life, I'm brunching on Sundays. I'll eat food together with my family, and then we worship together, and I'm loving that. I'm loving having this time with my family on Sunday mornings. But by the end of the day, I'm always so blue, and I can't figure out what's going on with me. And I realized this past Sunday, when it happened again, it's grief. I miss you. I miss being with you and sharing communion with you. I miss making faces at Jeff's cheesy jokes with you. This world that we're living in now, it's just different. And this different world is hard for me. And it's not just the Sundays that are different, right? The work week is different too. We now do these Zoom staff meetings or FaceTime calls so we can stay in touch with one another. School is different, and I'm a little bit worried that if my children are counting on me to pass fifth and seventh grade, we're in a lot of trouble. Being with family is different This weekend, I was scheduled to be in Nashville, celebrating my grandmother's 90th birthday. We tried to do a Zoom birthday party, but as we all got together, we realized Grandma doesn't have a computer, so she couldn't make her party. But my aunt went and stood outside her building and sang happy birthday to her through the door. Everything's just different now. And how long it's going to be different, it's unknown. And that unknown in and of itself causes even more grief. Honestly, I'm pretty sure the only one who is completely happy and satisfied with all this new and different normal is my dog. She loves it. But the good news is, in the midst of the world being so different, 
we can still gather together, and together in all of our different places, we can worship Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so this morning we're doing that. We're gathering together and we're continuing our sermon series, Searching for the Resurrection. And we're looking at the various characters in the crucifixion story. This morning, we're looking at Mrs. Pilate. Now, there are 66 books in the Bible. There are 1,189 chapters in those 66 books. And there are 31,102 verses in the Bible. And out of all of that, out of all 31,102 verses, there's one verse about the wife of Pilate. Matthew's the only gospel writer who tells us anything about her. She gets 37 words out of the whole Bible. Now, there are a couple apocryphal stories about her. Some say that her name was Claudia and that she eventually became a Christian. Based on that concept, the Coptic church has even canonized her. There's a very unfounded concept that this would be the same Claudia that Paul will reference later in his letters in the New Testament. We don't know. But certainly people are intrigued by this character and they want to know more about this mysterious woman. What we do know is that she's a Roman and a Gentile. She would have grown up in that Roman lifestyle, a lifestyle that valued discipline, strength, and power. She would have worshipped the many Roman gods. She wouldn't have been a person that just worshipped the one true God that we acknowledge now. We know she married a young, ambitious politician who in the end turned out to be a weak political pawn. We don't know anything about her marriage to Pilate, except for this particular year, for whatever reason, she had traveled to Jerusalem with her husband. Now, as we learned about in Jeff's sermon on Pilate, Pilate didn't live in Jerusalem, but he was to travel there every year at Passover just to keep the Jews in check. You can imagine how the Roman government would feel about people getting together every year to celebrate this holiday and remember the time that they had been freed from slavery. The Roman government didn't want the Jews getting any ideas, and so they would send the governor, they would send Pilate into town so he could just go through town and check things out, similar to the way a parent might do a walkthrough when a group of kids is having a party in a basement. Now, for many years, governors' wives were not permitted to travel with their husbands on these business trips. But under Emperor Tiberius, the wives were granted permission to travel with their husbands. And so this year, Pilate's wife traveled with him. That still leaves us with a lot of questions. I'm wondering, had she somehow met Jesus Had she perhaps seen him teaching and healing in the city while she was lounging around her rooftop pool? Or maybe she had passed by him at the market and she was shopping and he was feeding people in the city. Had she even possibly snuck into a time when he was teaching into a group and maybe she heard him teaching and she started to learn about the one true God? No one knows. Honestly, it's possible that she had never, ever met him or even seen him. 
It's possible that she only heard her husband mention this Jesus a time or two. It's possible before that night, before she had that dream, it's possible that she never spent an entire mental moment on this man called Jesus. But then she had a dream. Although knowing that she had a dream really just gives us more questions. What's in the dream? What happened in this dream that was so scary or so intense or so disturbing or so whatever it was that she suffered a great deal? Matthew gives us no information about the dream. And honestly, I think that's on purpose. I don't think that what happened in the dream is what Matthew wants us to spend our time on. I think what's important to Matthew, what Matthew wants us to know is that she had a dream. Because in the Bible, dreams are important, and Matthew in particular makes use of dreams to communicate that God's speaking to people. What's really interesting is that Matthew has five dreams in Matthew's gospel. Four of them, the first four of them, are all around the story of Jesus' birth. The fifth one, the only one that is not part of the birth narrative, is here. It's the dream that Pilate's wife has. Matthew wants to be very clear that when someone has a dream in his gospel, that Matthew's trying to indicate that God is speaking. Matthew wants us to know it's not just a restless night of sleep, but that God has something to say. And an even bigger point, then, that Matthew is trying to make is that this dream is considered a warning dream. A warning had been sent. And in every warning dream in the entire Bible, anytime someone has a dream where God is warning them of something, the dream is to a Gentile not a person who worshipped the one true God. And that's no exception here. Mrs. Pilate is a Gentile. She's not a person of faith. Matthew is highlighting for us here that it isn't the government who wants Jesus dead. It's the religious people. It's the very people who are supposed to be following him, who are supposed to be making this whole living in faith thing work out. It's those very people who had turned their backs on Jesus and were shouting for his crucifixion. So what is Matthew trying to tell us about the Christian, about the people of faith turning their back on Jesus? His point is the world is different now. Matter of fact, Matthew's making the point that the world is broken. That it is so broken that even those who are supposed to love Jesus have turned their back on him. The world is not right. And we get this. Honestly, before all of this mess that we are in now, we already got that. But now, in these strange times when the world is more different than anything we could have ever possibly imagined, that message is even bigger for us. And the different feels more broken than we could have ever possibly imagined. 
We get emails daily because the insecurity in our community is great and growing daily. We read the news and we hear more and more about people who are being diagnosed as sick. And even our own selves, we are feeling the dangerous effects of isolation as depression and anxiety are creeping into our psyche, draining us of our already low emotional reserves. We acknowledge the world is broken. This is not what it's supposed to be. There are days when we can literally feel our, our understanding of how to relate to other people. We can feel that understanding shattering. And even our understanding of how do we relate to God in the midst of all of this. And suddenly, we understand the unrest of the people on Holy Week better than we ever have before. The world is different, and we are grieving. So hear me, hear me then when I say this, that it was a Roman, a Gentile, a woman who may or may not have ever met Jesus or know anything about Jesus. This woman has a dream. God speaks to her. Don't miss the assurance for us in that act, that in the midst of the chaos and the differentness and the brokenness of the world, God speaks. When the world was the most broken, God did not leave. It is a word of hope for us. For Pilate's wife, the question becomes for her, what does she do now? I don't need to remind you that women were not exactly people of power at this point. Not to mention she wasn't even at the trial. She was back at her Jerusalem Airbnb home. Honestly, she was stuck at home. She was isolated in that home for her own protection. Pilate wasn't going to want her out wandering the town with all of this protesting going on. Y'all, Pilate's wife had to stay at home. And in the advice of the hit Disney movie Frozen 2, Mrs. Pilate did the next right thing. She declared the truth. And when she sent the word to Pilate to let Jesus live, Mrs. Pilate became the only person in history recorded to speak up against the death of Jesus. And she was a non-religious woman who didn't even know the end of the story. But she spoke up. And she wasn't held back by her fear or by her own anxiety. She wasn't held back by the fact that she needed to stay at home she declared that something was bigger than the differentness, bigger than the riots, bigger than the isolation, bigger than the chaos that was at work all around her. And when this woman sent this message to her husband, she was declaring that Pilate, that the Roman government, that the angry religious people, that none of them were the final word, that the world that they had come to know, that that wasn't the final word. 
She was bold enough to believe that the God who spoke to her, that that God was the final word. So friends, here's the thing for us. This week that we are moving into, this holiest of weeks when we will celebrate Jesus' journey to the cross, this week is God speaking to us. This week reminds us that even when we are stuck in our homes, even when we are grieving the differentness of the world, that we still have a word to say, that the chaos that weighs on us, the unknown that brings out fear in us, the depression, the anxiety, the grief that follows us around each day, those things are not the final word. And y'all, I don't want to ruin Jeff's Easter sermon for you next week, but what he's going to tell you is Jesus doesn't stay dead. God defeated even death itself. We have victory in Jesus Christ. And that means we are a people who have a word of hope and mercy and love that we can cling to and pronounce all through this time because God has spoken And it is good news. I heard this week a a pastor friend of mine who said that as Christians, this is our time to be audacious and to declare a word of hope that we will not be brought down, that we will not be defeated by the differentness, by the heartache of the world, but that we will be bold enough to still love and care for one another, that we'll be bold enough to remind each other of the peace and hope and mercy that comes from Jesus Christ, that we will weep together, and we will hope together, and we will love together even when we are apart from one another. It means that we're going to stay home as a way of caring for others in our community. It means that we're going to gather together virtually each week and worship together. It means we send notes and make phone calls to people to tell them hi and remind them how much we love them. It means we donate where we can and however we can to provide for the insecure in our community. It means we work together in faith to let people know that God has spoken and the differentness, the brokenness doesn't win. So this week, friends, I invite you to be bold. I invite you to be audacious. James Cone is an influential theologian and a seminary professor at Union until his death, and he said, testimony is the occasion where the believer stands before the community of faith in order to give account of the hope that is in him or her. This week, friends, I invite you to share your testimony and not just to the community of faith, but to the whole world, that you would testify to God speaking, that you would testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So this week, as a way of testifying, I'm going to put a candle on my front porch and display it there all week, a way of testifying to the world hope and faith, even in the midst of differentness and brokenness. I would invite you to light a candle in your home this week. Remember that God has spoken 
and it is a word of hope, and we give thanks for the victory in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks because in the differentness and in the chaos and in the midst of our grief, you are a big God who gives us hope and victory in Jesus. So God, I pray that you would continue to shine in each of our lives, Lord, and that we would reflect that hope to the world. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.